to Trek Companion. This is episode 93. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing Next Gen's fifth season episodes, Imaginary Friend, I, Borg, and The Next Phase. Here we go. Imaginary Friend, Season 5, Episode 22, Production Number 222. Original air date, May 4th, 1992. Directed by Gabriel Beaumont. Story by Jean-Louis Mathias, Ronald Wilkerson, and Richard Flegel. Teleplay by Edith Swinson and Brandon Braga. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Noli Thornton as Clara Souter, Shay Astor as Isabella, Jeff Allen as Daniel Souter, Brian Bonzal as Alexander Roshenko, Patty Yasutaki as Alyssa Ogawa, Sheila Franklin as Felton, and Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan. After learning from a young Enterprise resident named Clara that she has an invisible friend, Troy reassures the girl's father, Daniel Sutter, that the practice is normal. Since Clara has been moved from starship to starship, Troy explains that her imaginary friend, Isabella, provides her with a constant companion. Meanwhile, the Enterprise investigates a rare nebula that is formed around a neutron star. As the exploration proceeds, a strange energy source makes its way into the ship and begins to conduct an exploration of its own. You left me alone. I had to do everything by myself. You're scaring me. I was going to protect you, Clara. I liked you. Now I don't care. Now, when the others come, you can die along with everyone else. Adam, kick us off on Amer- Imaginary Friend. Um, you know, I wasn't all that excited to watch this episode. Um, the reason being, I think I've seen it quite a few times. I don't know if I've told you guys this, but I used to work in an office that had my own TV, and I was pretty much by myself all the time. So um, I, this is when Spike was showing all the Star Treks over and over again. So I just remember seeing this episode quite a bit. So it wasn't like, oh, okay, it's exciting. I'm going to get to see something I haven't seen in a while. And I really didn't say anything about the episode. Other than <laughs> <laughs> okay. it. So it, it hasn't changed much. In your nah, I mean, I don't think it's a bad episode. I'm just like, it's kind of my. I think it's kind of a bad episode. So, well, it it it's it, it's silly, and I don't think it has much to say. I mean, um, I I I can't really say I was surprised by how I felt about it. I, I you know I got into it, it's like oh yeah this one, and then it's kind of okay it plods along and you know I mean it's not like all bad, but I, I think for a fifth season episode it's not that great. I don't think it I don't think it has a lot of substance it uh tends to focus on um not our primary you know cast um so yeah i think that's pretty much why yeah i'd agree with steve i had that in my notes too that there's no um main character movement in this episode so it's it's really more about um um little girl mostly and her trauma um, the one thing I did like about this episode is that Data tells two jokes in this episode. <laughs> and they're both decent jokes. Oh, yeah. The, uh, given the alternatives, I would prefer to stick with FGC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whatever the name of the nebula is. Yeah, the bunny rabbit nebula. <laughs> oh, right. The bunny rabbit. Yeah. And Guinan's use here is a little, I don't know. I liked her first scene, but when they did it again, it wasn't as... Um, compelling you know when she well, did the you know, scene with clara 
about her yeah. razor tooth thing, but then when she told it again to Guy and Guy or Troy, it was just kind of like, okay, mm-hmm. we, we get it. You had an imaginary friend. <laughs> that's that's what she should have said. <laughs> I get it, Guinan. Uh, well, you know, I mean, we're going to talk about Iborg next, and I think we're all going to agree that's a pretty good episode. And and Guinan's use in that episode is really good. And I think most of the time she is used well, um, but here she doesn't seem terribly, um, I don't know, necessary. Um, you know, it, this episode has some some things that are that are nice. Um, uh, I think the main little girl is actually a decent little actress. Yeah. Yeah. The evil little girl is okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. she has that little bit of that kind of reminded me of um the red rum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the shining, those that kind of kids, those yeah. kind of kids, that kind of blank stare on her face kind of stuff. I mean, that's that's fine. That's cool. Um, I kind of I, yeah, I like the concept of the um spider web nebula. Yeah, and, cool. it, and it looked cool. Mm-hmm. It was nice and pretty in HD. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, These little lights getting on the ship, you always know you're in trouble. Like some little sparkly <laughs> oh, right. comes, and oh, here it comes. Look out for here the, comes the, the glowy red balls they, flying around. And, uh, work on those shields blocking, to block out those sparklies, you know, <laughs> the pixie dust or whatever. <laughs> um, what, oh, I had written down, I mean... Doesn't it seem like, in, you know, the episode may not be that good when the captain makes a rash decision just to move the story forward? Because, mm. like, you know, because they went through this and now, you know, oh, wait, nobody's seen this. Or this, well, you know, let's hang out for a while and see what happens. You know, he didn't really give much thought to it. So, <laughs> but it's just to move the story forward. Well, I think it's, yeah, it is just frequently this episode is oddly unimaginative for a, for an episode about an imaginary friend. <laughs> Irony. Like, yeah, like when, um, what's the name? Oh, Isabella, right, the imaginary. You know, her being evil is, it seems a little bit, she's she reminded me a little bit of Casper, mm-hmm. friendly ghost, like, <laughs> because she knocks over Troy's coffee. Yeah. You know, and then the sinister part is when Troy picks the cup back up and Troy goes in the other room and comes back, the cup's been knocked over again. <laughs> it's like, Gee, Casper, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's what it felt like. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. like silly lines that don't make any sense, you know. So she shoots her with shoots Troy with her ray gun hand or whatever, and then somebody says she she's had the energy taken from her body. Like, what on earth does that mean? <laughs> you know. <laughs> Shouldn't it, then the energy should have come out of her instead of going in her, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. Shot her ray gun hand, yet energy was taken from her body. Who knows where? And what does that mean for you know a humanoid? You know they have some kind of caloric consumption, or you know they <laughs> hey, burned off something, up? or what? Can I sign up for that? <laughs> <laughs> Take some pounds off. Um, I, I think there's an interesting idea here. Yeah. Oh, another thing I gotta say, I really wanted the whole episode for them to for the two little girls to refer to the grown ups as grups. <laughs> <laughs> they never did, but that's what I wanted. The whole I think I would have liked this episode if they did. Yeah, yeah. They said, We're not supposed to go there. The grups said we can't. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great. Uh, but they didn't. Um like, blah blah blah. No blah blah. <laughs> <laughs> good lines like that. Uh, um, so I think that there's probably an interesting idea here, you know, the imaginary friend that becomes real, but 
like an hour limits for Twilight Zone or something maybe would have been better than ultimately the reason this episode maybe doesn't work is I think like you guys said because it's not any of our main characters and it doesn't have anything to say I mean those are pretty much the two things that if you don't have one of those two <laughs> you know um, then it's not going to make a very interesting um, modern Star Trek episode right I mean we've seen, it, we've seen examples of things that can get by without you know can be compelling to some extent without a message of some sort but you know this doesn't on our characters yeah, yeah yeah and nobody I mean none of our main characters even close to have any kind of development going on I mean they're just they're just there to be part of the story you know yeah you think it would have been more interesting if they would have just used Alexander maybe in this storyline maybe you don't have an imaginary friend but um do you think they needed to bring in another child, or do you think it would have worked better just using Alexander in that role? I don't know. It's kind of funny because in a way you have Alexander and you have Guy, and they're both kind of like, oh, these people are available. Let's, you know, just throw them in. You know, it's not like – it's like, oh, they're, they happen to be on here on the set. You know, let's put them in the story in a, in a way. You know, I mean, I can understand with Alexander being, you know, oh, it's a familiar face. We know this character, so it brings, you know, something to the universe. Well, they're both kids. But yeah, yeah. 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 It's cool to see him and to have him for just a scene, Brian Gonzalez Alexander, just because, you know, there's a reality of the ship to it. We, mm-hmm. you know, I talk often about the way that I like Star Trek, the way I love Star Trek, mm-hmm. you know, his experience in the universe. So that's kind of cool. But yeah, I mean, it's just. I don't know. Maybe, I, like I said, I had written down in my notes if maybe Alexander was more the main child. Yeah, because at least with that... Alexander, then the father would have been Worf. Mm-hmm. And they could have still had the little girl. It could have been like the Wesley Crusher episode with um, Ashley Judd. You know, they they go off on some kid adventure. <laughs> <laughs> but at least you know. But but here, it has to be uh, a girl and her father, and we don't even know who the father. We've never seen this guy. You know that that's the way I understand. I understand that's how you have to play Star Trek. But it's like there's and what's the Ensign Sutter, um, just. Just him and Jordy and Data, like always, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on, the, on, on the in engineering, <laughs> uh, this happened. Always cut to engineering when it's his shift, you know. Or, yeah. Or right. Yeah. Well, Jordy's always on shift. Yeah, he's right. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but hey, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, when we get to uh, the next phase, don't ask me why. They can only go through bulkheads in one direction. Right. <laughs> That's convenient. Yeah, otherwise, you don't have much of an episode there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if I was just pretty thoroughly disinterested in this episode or if I'm just tired. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> a little both of me, I think. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I kind of go ahead, Brian. I was to say, the, you know, it's funny. I always confuse this episode with the one with uh, Kristen Dunst. Uh, I don't know why. Yeah. yeah. I guess because they're little girl episodes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I was, oh, uh, Brian, I was going to say is like, uh, yeah, this, like the next phase, when we, we'll get to that one. I mean, I couldn't find anything about what that episode was about, but it was entertaining. Yeah, this yeah. one kind of just plotted, plotted along and wasn't even really all that entertaining. Um, Steve, if you had to pick a scene in this episode that you thought was the best scene, what would it be? Um, well,. Gosh. Troy going in the closet? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, 
I, I do like the, like you said, I like the actor, the, the primary actress in this. And so when you have Guinan and her talking, I mean, that's pleasant at least. You know, it's good acting and it's cute and such. But, yeah. Does, does Isabella come off as, um, like, you know, the scary, the bad seed kid? Like, is she really scary? No, I, I mean, I honestly think that... They, I think it'd have been creepier had she just been a little more natural or something, a little more normal and all fun. And then she goes blasting people with ray gun hands mm-hmm. or threatening and stuff. You know, I think the whole serious demeanor and kind of robotic delivery just makes it. I don't know. It just becomes tiresome. I wonder if they had taken um, Clara farther toward the dark side, you know, like Isabella right. could have manipulated her mind more or something. Yeah. I, I don't know. It might have made it more interesting, but it's not going to save it from a lot of these faults we're talking about. I don't know. I guess we don't have a lot to say about this one. Um, Caesar, do you have a scene in this episode you really like? Um, I guess it would be like with the scene. chocolate cake. Troy, <laughs> chocolate cake. Well, it's funny no. you mentioned, yeah, I, I like the scene with Guinan and Troy where, you know, where Troy is questioning what she's doing with the child. And, um, you know, kind of helps her. It's kind of a nice scene. And I actually kind of enjoyed the data guy in a scene where he's, you know, she's explaining to him what cloud clusters are. That was funny, yeah. Was funny. Well, is this episode about anything? Um, not in my book. Not a whole lot. I mean, we could stretch for something, but I mean, I think so we pretty much it's, concluded it's not, not about much. It's about something imaginary. Yeah, I mean parenting. I mean, you could. I did have like a question mark written down, you know. So Picard's little speech there at the end about how you know there's no better way to judge us than how we raise our kids. I mean, I don't know. I guess you could say that's what the episode's about, but it's kind of a stretch. Like I said, that I mean that last scene with Picard is it shows the the kernel of a good idea that was so interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea of the imaginary friend that becomes real, um, the alien race that sees our species for the first time through the eyes of a child. That's mm-hmm. that's interesting, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think sure. they just they just ended up with a kind of crappy script, basically. Yeah, the idea was probably really good, and the script just didn't translate the way maybe it was imagined. Who knows? You know, I think this is one that. Um, as maybe I'm not saying it was great at the time, but I think it's um, a little less uh, in quality than it was when it first aired for me. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah, hate it. Sure. I, I don't sure. hate it, but yeah, you know, we're about to talk about an episode that I really, really, really like because I think it's fantastic. So you know, so yeah, today's this is interesting. Like I think next phase is good. Imaginary friend not very good. And our Borg is fantastic. So we kind of get the the spectrum today, and we're getting the Less than stellar one out of the way first. So <laughs> with that, I think we should move on, yeah? Yep. Yep. All right. Six degrees for imaginary friend. Adam, are you going first or second? Um, I'll go first. Noli Thornton plays Clara Sutter, the little girl that thinks up a jerk for an imaginary friend. <laughs> In DS9's second season, she played Taya. Taya, excuse me, Taya. The, village's, the village patriarch's granddaughter. In the episode, Shadow Play. What do Dax and Odo discover at the center of Taya's village? Um, 
I know I'm getting all I'm getting all sorts of episodes confused. Where do they find that? They find the computer, right? That's generating all these characters or some sort of orb. Yeah, like computer. yeah, I'll give you that. It's a holographic projector generating mm-hmm. the townspeople. I'll give you that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Steve. Mm-hmm. Jeff Allen plays Daniel Sutter. Uh, Tay is. Oh, I said Tay. <laughs> Claire is not. Claire is not so doting father. Uh, in Voyager's penultimate season, he played Gedrin in the episode Dragon's Teeth. In this episode, Voyager finds hundreds of Gedrin's people, the Vaudoir, waiting underground for what? Hmm. I uh, do not recall. Mr. Caesar? They were waiting for the rapture. No, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, revival. They're all in stasis. Uh, oh, okay. All right. Uh, Mr. Caesar has one moving on. Iborg, Season 5, Episode 23, Production Number 223. Original air date, May 11th, 1992. Directed by Robert Letterman. Written by Rene Echeverria. Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan and Jonathan Del Arco as Third of Five or Hugh. Picard sends an away team to investigate the wreckage of a small craft. Where they find the only survivor is an adolescent Borg. The captain initially shows no sign of wanting to help. However, Dr. Crusher eventually persuades him to beam the Borg aboard, in spite of the fact that his presence on the ship could alert the rest of his race. Troy senses anger in Picard, who was kidnapped by the Borg, but he refuses to discuss his feelings. However, those feelings become apparent when Picard realizes that if Geordi can tamper with the command structure of the Borg's brain, he can destroy, destroy the entire race through their interconnected network. If you're going to use this person... It's not a person, damn it, it's a Borg! If you are going to use this person to destroy his race, you should at least look him in the eye once before you do it. Because I am not sure he is still a Borg. I really do love this episode. And watching it... Um, watching Iborg now gives me the same feelings it did back when I first saw it. You know, I remember... I remember uh, when First Contact came out, um, like the weekend prior or something, uh, a couple of my Army buddies and I got together, that's when I was in the Army, and we watched a bunch of Next Gen Borg episodes. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I'd like watch them all, like back to back, you know, um, Q Who, Best of Both Worlds 1 and 2, Iborg, Descent 1 and 2, um, and it was, it was remarkable how much Iborg really stepped out from even that pack of strong episodes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's so smart because obviously they were they haven't brought the Borg back since Best of Both Worlds, yeah? Mm-hmm. They didn't know how to do it because we barely got through them the last time. And if you keep bringing them back and getting away, uh, it starts to take the power out of it. And if they're so powerful, you know... We shouldn't be able to best them so easily, and uh, obviously it was worth it, you know, really holding them back until first contact, big feature. Um, but this episode is so shockingly smart and simple, you know? It seems so, every little, every bit about it seems so obvious, but it wasn't. I mean, somebody wrote all of this. <laughs> when Hugh shows up 
in Picard's office and sees him for the first time and says Locutus and, and Picard takes advantage of that um, to kind of drill him um, and find out his real motivations and desires. Um, it's so obvious and but incredibly smart and simple and that's it's great because it's it's just what we were talking about a minute ago. You know, you are introducing a guest character, but it's massively informing us about our own characters. Especially, you know, Picard and Guinan both having to deal with like this this prejudice that you can't blame them for having really. You know, uh, Guinan lost her <laughs> her species and I I think her whole planet basically, you know. And uh, of course Picard put through the misery of destroying the fleet <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, in best of both worlds and having to live with that. And this episode just from the very beginning, like the, okay, I'll say the last, the last thing and then I'll shut up for a second. But the very, from the very, very beginning, uh, they find um, who's going to be called Hugh. They, they find him on this planet and they immediately have a, a discussion. Do we leave him? Do we save him? Do we kill him? You know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Love. Worf has the whole murder murder thing covered. Let's kill him and hide the body. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't the only one that thought it though. But yeah, you know, no. maybe hide the body part. But he wasn't the only one who thought that was the way to go. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you know. Oh, like I said, I should shut up for a second. I'm talking a lot. Um, <clears throat> how did how did this episode hold up for you guys compared to? When you first saw it, yeah, I I knew it was I knew, I remember it being very good, and it, it's it held, certainly held up uh, in that fashion. I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of got everything, you know. I mean, we all love the Borg, um, but really, it's more about you know, like you said, it's kind of a small episode, and it's the and it's the journey our primary characters take during this, you know, and uh, um, especially Card. And um, and then of course the uh, you know Jonathan Del Arco is Hugh is is very I think he's very good in this and so all that comes together. Um, yeah, I you know in part a little more intricate. I enjoyed the structure of how they set this episode up. I mean, I had it in my note. Um, I keep saying in my notes. I had it written down that um, you know they have these scenes where Picard and Guy and in their first scene they're both kind of she is very angry and um, Picard is, is kind of cold. He's, you can tell he's kind of shut. It seems like he's just shut his emotions off and Guinan's very angry. The next scene, he is still cold. And this is where after she'd already talked to Hugh. And so I just like that structure where everything is kind of building up towards the end. Um, obviously Guinan gets her issues resolved before Picard, but then we see the anger come out in Picard when, later on in the episode just before he he sees Hugh and then you know some of that anger I think probably comes out even during his discussion with you so um yeah that whole flow where you know we get to see where it's I don't know I just enjoyed the structure of how they put it together yeah you're right like that arc with Picard not Mm -hmm. just Picard and Guinan but that's a good that's a good example too like Mm -hmm. look at all the different ways that he's kind of flipping throughout Mm -hmm. this episode it's not just once Mm -hmm. you know and it always feels right and natural, and he needs to get to these places, and he does, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that scene when he gets pissed off at Jordy, what is he? Something like, he's, it's not a, 
No, no, that that was the Guinan scene. It's not a person, damn it. But mm-hmm. but with Jordy, you know, Jordy expresses hesitation about this virus type plan. And Ricard says, I would suggest that you unattach yourself from the Borg, Mr. LaForge. Which by the way, he never apologizes to Jordy for <laughs> <laughs> He was talking off to him like, yeah, 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 yeah. So, well, that's what I was saying. Ricardo just basically seemed like he kind of just shut his emotions off. He he felt more cold to me than any than you know angry, regretful, yeah. or anything like that. He wasn't thoughtful at all. He was like, "This is what I'm going to well, do." I think that's that's how he deals with, you know, that's mm-hmm. the only way he's ever really been able to deal with um, his experience with the board, with the single exception of, you know, breaking down with um, Robert. Mm-hmm. You know. That's how he deals with it. He doesn't talk, you know, at the very beginning of the episode, um, uh, Troy goes into his quarters, or not quarters, uh, the ready room, and she's like, she offers to talk or help or something, and he's, you know, he just declines it flat out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, we see um, some similar scenes with Picard in first contact with this one. He just, you know, just kind of goes off, obviously, right then the first contact, you know, like the line. Of, the, his famous line: the, "The line must be drawn here and no mm-hmm. further." So, um, yeah, that kind of—I mean—that movie kind of built off this episode. It's kind of like you never really fully healed from all that. I don't, you know, something that's that traumatic. I think it's that's plausible that you just—it changes you indefinitely. You know, you don't perfectly heal from it. So, I think it makes sense that later on in First Contact, even he's still. It's not like he's got it all together when it comes to the Borg yet, you know. Well, they never used the word um, genocide. Mm-hmm. At least I don't recall them using that word in this episode. But that's what they're talking about. You know, that's what they mm-hmm. come up with. And that scene is it's pretty crazy near the beginning. Um, and, you know, Picard shares this plan. And, and Crusher is like, wait a minute, you know. Can we do this? Is this is this right? Picard's, I don't remember his exact words, but basically he says, there's no chance of a negotiation with these preachers. It's us or them. You know, kill them all. You know, I mean, that's yeah. that's pretty, that's a, that's pretty damn dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you now he's obviously going to change, but that's what, that's the that's the kind of extremism that we're talking about here. The guy gives his stamp to genocide you know i kind of always wondered too like because this is like one of the first thing he says when when he sees the borg um on the ship near the beginning he's that's when he brings up this virus concept with geordie um was he thinking that when he gave in to crusher like crusher asked him if she can beam this injured borg up and he's like no no no. and she keeps asking and maybe he's sitting there thinking well <laughs> you know, maybe we can, you know, use him to destroy them all or something. All right, bring him on up, heal him. You know. <laughs> um. Yeah, bro. My only complaint about this episode is maybe they turn the corner with the card a little too, a little too fast for me because like all we've been talking about is you know anger and darkness and you know. I don't know. I kind of. I thought. Kind of. I don't. I know a time constraint doesn't allow you to do more with that, but I thought he'd kind of turn the corner a little too fast just by having that one discussion with you. But I don't know, well, I think it's an important distinction, and, and I see what you're, I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I can see, you know, that there's some there's logic to that, but I think the distinction is 
that scene between Hugh and Picard when when Hugh addresses him as Locutus. It's such a beautiful scene. It's so it's so good. Um, but in that scene, Picard does not get to some place where he thinks the there's much redeemable about the Borg. I don't think he goes that far. Uh-huh. Uh, I think he just completely recognizes this one single Borg as a unique entity. Yeah. Right. Right. I don't know yeah. that he even. I don't know that he even really thinks in that scene when he has his turnaround. I don't know that he even thinks this same feat could be performed on other Borg necessarily. It's not until later when he kind of gets to this point where he's like, you know, let's not wipe his mind and you know and see what happens. Um, you know, and I, I agree with I, I agree with you. Um, but I thought he was just a little bit too happy towards the end of the episode. He was, he seemed content. I mean, with that scene, I agree with you. In that scene, what you're hypothesizing was going through his head. That's, I mean, it's a minor complaint. I'm not trying to say it, but mm-hmm. there's one weakness about this episode. Dave. It's just the con- the contrast just happened too fast. I mean, I guess for me. Well, it is the kind of decision that you got to think, even for Picard. You know, he's all he's gonna kind of second guess that a little bit. He's got to, mm-hmm. you know, any person dies by the hands of any Borg, you know, and yeah, you know, I do you guys feel like did you feel like Voyager spent too much time with the Borg or neutered the Borg in any way, or is it just a totally different thing, Voyager's Borg versus Next Gen's Borg? Well, I think um, First Contact opened the door for Voyager to be more creative with them. Because, you know, with First Contact, we get the the queen, and there is more indiv- there's more indiv- individuality to the Borg than we realized through the movie First Contact. So it didn't bother me that much that Voyager went on, you know, they, they, did, a more, they did a lot more with the Borg. But I think that movie allowed them to, it kind of broke the rule, you know, the, the, mm. the, the first gen rules of the Borg. If you will. Yeah, I, I I can see that. Yeah, I mean it because it be, when it becomes ordinary. I think when any like something like this, you know, they it comes like the everyday. It's like here we go again. Let's do some more Borg. I mean, they're an interesting thing, but if you you can run anything to the ground, you know, and then it becomes less threatening just because of the like you said earlier. I mean, if if we're getting by, if we're making it through facing them over and over again in some way, shape, or form, it's okay, you know. Um, and my sister um really enjoyed for it. She was really disappointed that they didn't do more with the Borg in the um in the next gen movies, like you know maybe a sequel or just a little bit more. And like I said, the Voyager just kind of t- got got to handle the Borg from there on out. Well, we get a little bit of a sequel to First Contact in Enterprise, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're right, you're right. Um. Yeah, and the performances are all. And you're right, Steve. I think Jonathan Delarco is is really, really good here. He's he's unappreciated, underappreciated. Mm-hmm. I think he's very, very good. Um, yeah, just a just a really, really, really good episode. Good writing, good characters. It's, it's this is a, this is a, definitely one of the best, if not the best episode of the season. Am I forgetting something? Well, maybe Darmok is my favorite episode of the season. Hmm. But um, This one's damn good, though, right? Yeah. Really, really, really fantastic. Um, 
boy, this this episode is just oozing with, you know, important questions and and you know, themes. Um, and then you know we we there's a kind of a sequel to this episode that we get to look forward to. That's in is that next season or seven? Well, it depends how you count it. So mm-hmm. Descent Part One is the end of season six, but Hugh Delarco doesn't. I don't. He's not in Part One, right? He's not. I think he's in Part Two, which is the beginning. I think that's true. Yeah. Seven, yeah. yeah. Um. So, what's this episode about? Um. Would an MC Escher picture really destroy the Borg? Yes, <laughs> I think. So. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's. I think for me, it's mostly about. Um, it's kind of it, it's the the whole you know it depends on how, what layer you want to talk you know the the individual versus the group and the the freedom of choice and that kind of right you know it's it's overcoming prejudice you know and 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 no matter what your history is with a with some group or whatever that you've got to recognize ultimately recognize that you know, an individual has rights and an individual is not necessarily the same as everything they come from, even in the case like this, where it's literally a, a collective mind, you know, you have to give the benefit of the doubt, you know, because, you know, any individual can overcome any circumstance and be different than what you expect. So that's what it's like for me. Yeah. I pretty much had variations of what Steve just said. Um, I kind of, I had down knowing that I had a knowledge of self, um, awareness of what one's own being. I put that down. That might be the only thing different, but yeah, all the things that Steve put down, you know, individuality versus collective, um, is in there overcoming prejudice, um, um, more learning one's own individual pains when we see in, um, guy in number card, you know, it could be said as pre- overcoming their prejudice as well. Um, so it says a lot and it's entertaining. So the pure definition one- of, we said of a good episode. Mm-hmm. The one other thing I'm not sure you guys said that I know it's a mine. I know it's minor compared to the things you guys mentioned, but I really do like this idea of. Well, I guess I guess it sort of is genocide okay in any instance. Um, when you use the word genocide in the sentence, <laughs> okay, it's hard to imagine there's any scenario, because how do you ever really know that that was your only alternative? But just as a, as a concept, you know. Um, I, th- I think it's very interesting this question of, of um, would it have been okay to use that would you doomsday say, weapon to wipe out your enemy? Would you say this is Picard's darkest episode in the series? Well, Picard's darkest episode, maybe not the darkest episode, because I think no, no, just Picard is it? Because I was thinking about the Deep Space Nine episode where um, Cisco he um, basically bombs that planet with gases. Remember we had that discussion, like, you mm-hmm. know, that's as dark as we got to see Cisco. And I was just wondering if this is as dark as we get to see Picard in the series. Maybe. Um, I mean, Chain of Command Part 2, probably my favorite episode. That's pretty incredibly dark, but it's, it's you know, it's, it's Picard being tortured, so it's not exactly the same kind of thing you're asking about, I don't think. Um I don't know. That, I just had that thought just arose in my head when I was watching that. That well, just made me like, think of that Cisco episode. You know, like we've said, it's the same kind of thing that goes through Picard in First Contact. You know, when he's when he's ready, basically to sacrifice every single member of his crew to save his ship, even though his ship is by any 
rational thought already lost and he should you know escape with the lives that of the crew that he has left but he's you know he's not willing to do that he just wants he's so he's going to sacrifice everybody to the last man you know until he has that conversation with uh, Lily and and turns around but it's the same kind of thing you know it's the same it's the same dark place he's coming from yeah. yeah. All right. Well, fantastic episode. Totally holds up. We have tons of answers for what it's about. Well written, good characters. I'll be watching this one for a long time. Let's move on to Six Degrees for I Borg. Uh, Adam has one. Steve, you going first or second? I'll go first. Jonathan DeLarco plays Hugh, the Borg with a heart of gold. In Voyager's seventh season, he played an unknown species that was native to the Void in the episode The Void. The Doctor named him Phantom after a character in what musical? Musical. Hmm. I don't recall. Adam? I want to say Phantom of the Menace because it sounds funny, but would it be Phantom of the Opera? You're correct, Phantom of the Opera. Um, Adam, Del Arco originally auditioned for which regular role on Next Gen in 1987? Um, I'm going to guess Data? No. Oh, uh, I guess he would be Wesley Crusher. There. Well, I was going to give it to Steve. Oh, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, you so can without, have my point. Without me confirming or denying your answer, Steve. <laughs> it, it's cool. I did know it. It, it was Wesley, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, Steve has one, Adam has two. Moving on. <laughs> the Next Phase, Season 5, Episode 24, Production Number 224. Original air date, May 18th, 1992. Directed by David Carson. Written by Ronald D. Moore. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Michelle Forbes as Ro Laren, Thomas Kopachi as Miroc, Suzanne Thompson as Varel, Shelby Leverington as Brosmer, Brian Cousins as Param, and Kenneth Messerol as McDowell. Upon receiving a distress signal from a Romulan science ship, Picard sends an away team to help. During the mission, Geordi discovers that one of the ship's generators needs replacement, so he and Roe prepare to beam back to the Enterprise to replicate the part. However, something goes wrong during the transport. After dematerializing from the Romulan ship, the pair, the pair fail to appear on the Enterprise. After several failed attempts to bring them back, Picard and crew are forced to accept the fact that they are dead. It's not what you expected, is it? <sighs> what do you mean? This. Death. What? We're dead, Geordi. <laughs> is that some kind of a joke? Our patterns were lost in a transporter malfunction. We never rematerialized after leaving the Romulan ship. The next phase. So much of my notes here, I was writing Geordi and Roe, Geordi and Roe. Yeah. And I started shorthanding it. <laughs> and the last half of my notes are referencing G and R on the ship. Oh, oh my. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think our, our, some of our listeners are too young to get my joke. Um, let's see. 
who didn't kick us off today? Caesar, you kicked us off in the first one. Steve, yes. kick us off in the next phase. All right. Um, well, I think it's a very memorable episode. I certainly recall it because it's, it's entertaining. It's fun. You know, they, they're working together to try to – you have the notions of they have to somehow figure out how to – come back well you have the you have the element of the arguing of are they dead or not and you have how do we get back and then you have the component of we have to stop a disaster from coming so you have all those elements as we kind of alluded to earlier i would be it'd be difficult for me to find some specific thing this episode is about but i certainly think it's an entertaining episode and um yeah it's a lot of fun I assume all of you have somewhere in your notes. Why don't they fall through the floor or at least thought it at some point? I think they could have easily come up with a made up reason as to why I was thinking about it. And like, like for example, isn't there supposed to be a um, gravity plating or whatever underneath their feet? Right? Mm, so the gravity, pl- yeah, the gravity plating could. Right. All they had to say yeah. was just one, just give me one short little half a, half a line about, you know, wait, why aren't we falling through the, or, you know, oh, it must be the gravity plating preventing this so-and-so. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah That's yeah, it. Yeah. That's yeah. all we needed. Yeah. But since we didn't get that, <laughs> we spend the whole episode thinking that. And it only gets worse whenever that admittedly very cool scene when they're running, you know, Rose yeah. being chased through the, mm-hmm. the whole deck by that Romulan. And then Jordy comes in and pushes him through the, you know, the, the, the hull of the ship into the outer space. That's, that's. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. And you had to think like me, chasing through the ship the whole time. That's all I'm thinking is, oh, come on. I want him to be pushed out. I want to see that. <laughs> but still, all that does is reinforce the idea that, are they not sliding through the floor? But anyway, uh, they don't give us an answer for that. We have to try and make one up. Then we'll just have to move on. <laughs> um, I found it more funny how um, comfortable Jordy was with just walking through walls right after dying. I, I had written down that um, you know they, him and Roe have that fight in engineering about like if they're dead or not, and he just kind of storms off through the wall. And I'm like, well, he, he got pretty comfortable walking through walls really quickly. Yeah. I'd have to think twice in my own house how to do yeah. that. I mean, if, if, this, if that power just all of a sudden happened, I'd be like, okay, that would be like right there, and that would lead me over. You know, I'd have to kind of ponder that for a moment you know before I start doing yeah it. i'd be like accidentally walking into the next people's house I think. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, actually it's kind of funny that you know running through those quarters they didn't see anything crazier going on in somebody's <laughs> yeah there was Five one quarters. goofy scene with the you know this couple look like they're kind of like getting intimate in a way when they're eating something <laughs> wasn't that in there somewhere and it was kind yeah of, yeah going on here when jordy has to slip in yeah, it's kind of funny too. Like, obviously, this is a very expensive episode, all these effects and stuff. But still, any chance they got to have him walk between somebody or around somebody, they, they, they did. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, here Jordy's going to wait and run through when the door is open, and that's going to save us fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> see, it would have made more sense for them not to use that first scene where he walked out of engineering through the wall instead of had him walk through the door at the end but i guess they had to like show off in the beginning i do want to point out uh kind of a side note that whole sequence near the beginning when they eject the romulan warp core mm-hmm. that's a really exciting sequence i really like that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know it's a it's a nice little structure mini structure to it and it's really cool um makes you really good go ahead I was going to say this episode makes you realize what 
cool as Robin's are. <laughs> doesn't shine, yeah, it doesn't shine good light on them. Any chance they get or whatever, you know. You gotta write that down. <laughs> Six minutes. Six minutes in. Mute. Caesar. There we go. <laughs> A-holes. Sorry. A-holes, that's right. Um, <laughs> we got our... Uh, family friendly thing on iTunes. Um, uh, yeah. Um, let's see. Jordy Purse from this bitch in Arm Genesis. I it and it's a nice structure too, of course, leading up to the um the memorial service, having them, you know, rephase or whatever in at their own memorial service. That's really great. I like that sequence, uh Data and Morph talking about the memorial service in the shuttlecraft with Jordy and Roe listening behind them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's there was just something nice about that. Something obviously intimate about it. Um, it's not... You know, this episode, some of the tech in this episode, of course, reminded me of the, uh, what is it, the Pegasus? Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, yeah. Uh, the ship that... Well, at this point, the Federation would have already done those experiments. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. it, I didn't think of that until just now. That it's a future episode, but it, it <laughs> the experiments took place in the past. So, yeah, um, yeah and, you know, and the the effects work is very good. Definitely these the new Blu-rays, the new HD effects work is so much better. The compositing is is mm-hmm. perfect. You know, um, which incidentally, we're recording this the day before. The season six Blu-rays come out. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason they've taken longer and longer between them is because they're to the point now where CBS Digital is doing everything themselves. That's why they're taking so long. They're not trading off with somebody else between seasons. Mm. Um, so hopefully we'll make it. <laughs> <for season seven. laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, um, yeah. So I just I I definitely this is an enjoyable episode. It reminds me a little bit of uh, I don't remember the name, but I think it's season six, the episode where Picard and a couple others show up and like the Enterprise is fro- almost frozen in time. You know? Oh, yes. like, I think that that was a Romulan ship too that they're with, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah, maybe that's another reason that it reminds me of that. But um, hmm. um let's see, nine minutes in, nine minutes in. Caesar. Why do you think it's Roe? Do you think it, you think it works? You think it would have been better with uh, one of our regulars instead of Roe? No, I think it was fine with Roe. Roe, you know, she's it's not like the Daniel Sutter character that's just a one timey. Roe's been around for a while, so we got to, we've got to know her. So mm-hmm. I didn't have a problem with that. I thought her and Jordy worked fairly well together. Yeah, I um, liked Jordy's relationship. Yeah. Um, I think, um, you know, once we get into what this episode's about, I mean, if she kind of, I think she kind of moves that along, you know, she, I had written down like, you know, morning rituals, you know, dealing with death, those kind of things. So I think she, her character kind of pushes hey, uh, that. You broke up a little bit. Start say that again, please. Um, I think Ro pushes maybe what this episode's about, this spirituality part of it you know we kind of first realized this might be the first episode we realized how the spiritual side of the Bajorans that we're going to get to know a lot better and DS9 you know the morning rituals the death 
you know how you know how you bury bury people. So I think she works fine. I like yeah, I like uh, Data's idea of a memorial service, the cacophony of. It's <laughs> nice. It's a celebration. Mm-hmm. So what's this? Uh, what's this episode about? Um, I have down, you know, dealing with death. I guess would be one thing. You know, how do you grieve the grieving process? I don't know. I don't know if that's a stretch or not, but that's what I kind of, kind of had down. You know, we have some scenes. Obviously, with Data and Worf, that was probably the most memorable one where they're talking about rituals of, you know, burial rituals and what it means for different um, cultures when death comes. Um, it's kind of what I had down. What did you have, Steve? Yeah, I had trouble. Um, I had trouble really coming up with something on this. I mean, I could see where it could be what you mentioned there, um, and maybe also, I, I mean, I, it occurred to me the notion of um, the the you know that's the strange state, of the the kind of the desperately need, wanting attention, you know, feeling invisible to people. But all this, to, all those, both those things to me feel a little bit of a stretch. I mean, maybe that's I don't I don't know honestly. I mean, it's entertaining, but it's one of these I don't know how well it establishes a singular theme. Yeah, you know, we've talked about that too. It's, it's okay to be entertaining as long as you're really entertaining. <laughs> um, and I think this episode is one of those kind of geeky you know sci-fi tech kind of stories that are, that it's fun you know and there's there's a there's a ticking clock with the ship going to explode or um you know are they ever going to figure it out and um you know you've got all those great scenes with with data uh, we didn't talk a lot about those but the the scene with data and and Jordy near the uh what do they call that the ping pong table right Yes, um, down there in engineering, um, that this stuff is really fun, uh, and it's, and of course they pick that up even more so uh, at the memorial service. But anyway, um, it's entertaining, and and sometimes that's okay. And I think it's an interesting. Today we had a really interesting batch of three, you know, really disparate concepts of a next gen episode, um, um, and I think that there's. There's no doubt Iborg holds up the best, but it was the best at the time for a reason. Anyway, um, a fun episode. It really is. All right, let's move on to six degrees for the next phase. I believe Adam has two, Steve has none. Is that correct? Yes. Oh, Steve, Steve has, has one. Oh, yes, that's right. Not, yeah, you got the Wesley. You got the Wesley. Okay, so um, Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Thomas Copace plays Miroc, the Romulan, the acting commander of the uh, Romulan vessel that shows his gratitude toward the Enterprise by attempting to blow it up. <laughs> in one of Next Gen's final episodes, he plays the holographic train engineer in the episode Emergence. In this episode, who is having a baby? Hmm. And so this is Next Gen, right? You said emergence yep. next. Okay. Um, who's having a baby? I'm totally blanking on this. I don't know. Mr. Caesar? Can you repeat the question? Mm -hmm. 
Thomas Scopace plays Mirak, the Romulan, the acting commander of the Romulan vessel that shows his gratitude toward the Enterprise by attempting to blow it up. In one of Next Gen's final episodes, he plays the holographic train engineer in the episode Emergence. In this episode, who is having a baby? Uh, damn. Um, I don't know. Sorry. The answer is... The Enterprise. Hmm. All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Adam, Susanna Thompson plays Burrell, Mirox's acting first officer and all-around swell Romulan gal. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> uh, we'll next see her play Jaya in Next Gen's sixth season when Riker thinks he's losing his ever-loving mind while rehearsing a play. Name the episode. <laughs> I know the episode, but I'm not sure about the name. Um, I'll call it the, let's say, the stage. No? Steve? Yeah, I remember the episode. Um, it's one of those, I don't know, it seems like it's got one of those several words to it or something. Is it persistence of vision or something? No? Yeah. Frame of mind. Frame of mind. There we go. Frame of mind. All right. Mr. Caesar inches out the wind for the day. Okay, folks. Uh, thanks for joining us. Um, we are excited in two weeks to finish out season five. That includes, of course, a phenomenal episode, one of the all time best Star Trek hours. And looking forward to talking about the inner light. Um, in the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash Trek Companion. Uh, or Twitter is at Trek Companion. Um, you can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. In fact, just today I retweeted something from Bill Hunt at the Digital Bits. Did you see that about the uh, – they're going to re-release Star Trek Into Darkness on Blu-ray with the uh, IMAX stuff. Oh, cool. You know, uh, yeah, filling up the screen like they did for Batman. That's and it's pretty soon. It's like September, so looking forward to that. Um, and they're putting all those those annoyingly those different retailer things all together on one disc. Excellent. So, mm -hmm. Yes, finally. So they're going to get more money out of us. Mm -hmm. But that's okay. That'd be worth it. Uh, there is a rebate program of some sort if you're into that. Um, so anyway, um, so thank you so much for joining us. Catch you in two weeks for an exciting discussion. Till then, take it easy. Bye. See you. I passed it.